Okay, howdy out there. This is Beck Barnes and Jim Stebman of Cotton Grower Magazine fame, and we are coming at you with the world-renowned Cotton Companion podcast here uh, near the end of July. Uh, Yeah, the tail end of July here. So whether you are joining us from Greenville, Mississippi, or from Greenville, South Carolina, or any of the various and sundry Greenvilles in this great nation, we welcome you. I am uh, I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Cotton Growers Senior Editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Good afternoon or good day, Beck, uh, and good hello to everybody out there. Yeah, we, yeah, we are at the we're at noontime, which is why you heard some hesitation from Jim getting to. Good afternoon or good morning. Uh, it is also why you may hear my stomach growl as we progress through this podcast. So y'all bear with me. Uh, I have not had my maybe a little cranky too. I get a little hangry before before I get my lunch. So if, if you get out of hand, I'll reach across and slap. <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <okay. laughs> there we go. So <laughs> we are uh, we are back in the studio today at the end of what has been an unseasonably pleasant week here in the mid south. It's been uh, dry and in the eighties. Throughout the day out there, I have honestly not known how to react besides to get out there and uh, just enjoy it when I could. I, I feel like you guys out there in the field or maybe uh, here in the Mid-South would rather have uh, some heat units. To be honest, I'm not uh, real sci- – my knowledge of heat units is not terribly scientifically sound, but I know that generally y'all like it to be hot. But I, I'm sure y'all don't mind some pleasant weather either. Um I have recently this week been up at the InfoAg conference. I was up in St. Louis, uh, and that is a conference for all of the super techie uh, gadgets and ag software. You know, this it's all of the latest cutting edge stuff in precision ag and ag tech. And for a farm nerd like myself, man, I, I bring my pocket protector up there and just geek out with all that stuff. It's such a neat thing to see. I'm like a kid in a candy store, so... Uh, anyhow, it's it's been a busy week for us. It's been a busy week in cotton news. We are uh, going to get into that momentarily. But first things first, we want to hear a quick word from our gracious sponsor, Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. So, all right, that is a timely Phytogen ad because uh, at this moment we are going to bring you a brief custom content segment featuring our own custom content editor, that's Robin Sichtberg, and she recently sat down and spoke with Dr. Tom Eubank. He is a Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist for the state of Mississippi, and uh, we want to bring you that custom interview right now. Hello, I'm Robin Sipper, custom content editor with Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. My guest today is Dr. Tom Eubank, uh, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist for Mississippi. Welcome back to the program, Tom. Thank you, Robin. Glad to be here. Well, I know in our last interview, we talked about some of the earlier season challenges that we're facing growers and how to overcome them. Um, What are some of the challenges you're seeing as far as disease and insect pressure um, this season? Yeah, so we are beginning to see in some of the competitor varieties some uh, bacterial blight issues beginning to show up. That's a, uh, a, a, a more recent pest that has kind of come back into the spotlight again. Uh, but one advantage that uh, phytogen cotton has with our uh, native breeding traits that all of our wide stripe three flex enlist varieties have inherent uh, resistance to bacterial blight. So that gives growers an additional uh, peace of mind there that that they can focus their energy and concerns elsewhere 
bacterial blight is not going to be an issue with wise strike three flex and list cotton. That's great. Um, great news for, for growers everywhere, I think. And then there's that other pest that uh, growers continually have a problem with every year, uh, bullworms. What do you recommend that growers do to protect their crops from bullworms? Yeah, the, the cotton bullworm is definitely a pest that cotton growers have to contend with on an annual basis. One of the big concerns that, that we have is where this, this pest uh, establishes itself in a corn crop and it moves out of the corn into cotton. And unfortunately, they're exposed to the BT technology in corn and can often that next generation then be somewhat resistant to, uh, to BT cotton in certain situations. What we have observed, though, is with the wide strike three flex and list cotton variety that we offer in, in phytogen cotton seed is it brings another level of protection for cotton growers against that pest. And in some situations, we've seen growers uh, have to apply two or three applications of an insecticide to try to control cotton bollworm in 2BT cotton, whereas with Wide Strike 3, they've been able to, to control that pest without having to make additional applications or oversprays. What else can growers do to protect against bollworms, such as scouting or other cultural practices? Well, the big thing is to, to make sure that they're monitoring it aggressively and, and, and scouting the crop. Uh, as I mentioned, corn bollworm can, can move from corn into cotton, but also in soybeans. Where soybeans are grown, uh, that, that pest can infect soybeans as, as well. Um, but scouting intensively, uh, making sure that, that we manage these pests, most of the uh, consultants and, and entomologists know that uh, with the, the 3BT technology like we see with White Strike 3, um, entomologists recommend a, a, a treatment only when worms are visible. With 2BT cotton varieties, they recommend a, a, an egg spray. So we have another level of protection there with the White Strike 3 technology that the other competitor varieties don't offer. Okay, good. Where can growers find out more information about the Wide Strike 3 or Phytogen uh, W3FE varieties? Sure. They can, uh, they can go to phytogen.com for more information, or they could reach out to their local Phytogen Territory Manager or Cotton Development Specialist, and we'd be happy to assist. All right. Well, that's our time, but thank you so much, Tom, for being on the program again. Thank you, Robin. All right. A big thank you to Robin and to Dr. Tom Eubank for that. Uh, we want to get the ball rolling here, though, on our this, our 52nd episode. We got a good one for you today. Uh, it's maybe a shorter news segment, but certainly denser news segment because there's definitely. a lot to impact. You, you would agree with that? I would definitely agree with yeah. that. Um, the, what's going on is just this week we had some details starting to emerge about that 2019 market facilitation payment program which I know has been a topic of high interest naturally among our listeners. So Jim is going to dive into that. He's going to cover, uh, you know, what we can gather uh, from the details that have started to emerge. It sounds like it's good news uh, for most of us uh, in our listening audience. So um, you won't want to miss that. We've also got a brief crop progress update and uh, so, so, yeah, it'll be a good news segment. After that, though, we're going to bring you a conversation that Jim had recently with Mr. Frederick Barrier, excuse me, Frederick Barrier, 
who is a VP at Staple Cotton, and uh, they were talking, oh gosh, uh, cotton consumption, the impact of the lingering trade war, America's competitors, and just lots of juicy U.S. cotton stuff that y'all won't want to miss. So, as you can tell, a great Mm. episode today. Without further ado, I'm going to get out of my man Jim's way, and he is going to lead us in a focused discussion of the news items of the day. Jim, go for it. Thank you, Beck. Uh, We're going to start just uh, with the crop progress notes uh, from the most recent uh, USDA crop progress report, and that would be for the week ending July 1st. Uh, I believe, as I recall, in our last episode, we were uh, a bit concerned. We didn't do any crop progress news because we were a bit concerned about uh, the impact that hurricane or tropical storm or tropical depression berry may have on uh, on crops in the mid south. That was the case. It was. Well, it appears when you look at the at the crop report, most recent report, any concerns about a negative impact uh, were pretty much uh, pretty much like the storm. They were pretty much overblown. Uh, in fact, if you look at it closely, the rains from the storm in general may have helped get this year's crop pretty much back on schedule. So according to the report, squaring now present in 78% of the U.S. crop, and that's just two percentage points behind the five-year average for the date. So that's a pretty quick catch-up there. That's an 18% increase in the past week and a 31% jump in the past two weeks in terms of squaring. In all eight states, Alabama, Arizona, Georgia, Kansas, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Virginia are on or ahead of average uh, for this date. Bull set is now reported in 33% of the crop, and that's 13% jump in the past uh, past week, and only four percentage points behind the five-year average. Uh, six states, again, Arizona, Georgia, Kansas, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia, are currently running ahead of average, so those crops are doing very, very well in those states. Crop condition, to me, the most important part of all this is improving week over week in July as we get into some of these warmer temperatures and get out of uh, get the cotton up and, and really moving. The U.S. crop as of uh, July t- July 21st was rated 60% good to excellent, 30% fair, and only 10% fell into that poor or very poor category. That's down from 19%, poor, very poor, two weeks ago. Yeah, I've got a buddy actually in North Mississippi who's been urging me to look into doing a story on how similar this season is to apparently 1991 was such a a very similar situation where it was such a difficult planting window and a lot of guys struggled to even get anything in the ground, had to replant multiple times. And then the rest of the year, once you got past planting season, was so picture perfect in terms of what you would want in terms of weather that they wound up having just a, a wonderful crop, wonderful yields that year. And I know we have certainly saw that similar struggle in planting season, particularly here in the Mid-South and there in the Southeast where there was a lot of drought conditions. And so hopefully, yeah, we're on our, we are uh, on our way to just blowing it out at the gin here with our yields towards the end of this year. Yeah, and like, and like you mentioned, even though we're, we're in, we are really enjoying some very nice temperatures this week. Yeah, I think most growers would like those temps to be about five to ten degrees higher yeah. 
to get a few more, keep the heat units moving on that cotton and keep it uh, keep it progressing. Yeah, well, they're, to, to be sure, they're on their way today. today oh, yeah, they'll be Today's back. a little warmer, but I suspect in a couple of days. Yeah, I here. think they'll enjoy next week yeah. and the weeks beyond. Yeah, again. we'll be right back there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the big news came, uh, came July 25th when... Uh, USDA made their announcement about the uh, the details for the market facilitation support program. That's yesterday. To That's be as sure. of yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Upland and extra long staple cotton are on the list of U.S. farm products eligible for payments. Now, uh, this is part of a sixteen billion dollar package through the market facilitation program, food purchase and distribution program, and agricultural trade promotion program. Uh, the, uh, this program is designed to support, obviously, U.S. growers and farmers, farmers and ranchers impacted by the retaliatory tariffs on U.S. ag goods and other trade disruptions. Obviously, the announcement quickly drew praise from the National Cotton Council, other U.S. cotton organizations, and a host of other commodity groups uh, throughout the U.S. Now, I'm going to go through some of the details on this, uh, and, and it's going to be a very general, you know, 5,000-foot look at the program because there are a lot of details that that, that need to be worked out with uh, with each grower with the uh, with the farm service agency in their area. So, based on this, sign up for the program. By the time you hear this podcast, uh, sign up will have already begun. Uh, it uh, it begins Monday, July 29th. And it will end on Friday, December 6th. The first round of payments is expected to be made in mid to late August for those of you who rush out there and, and, and get signed up. Followed by second and third rounds of payments are likely in November and January. And that's going to be based, though, on continued evaluation of the market conditions and trade opportunities. So in essence, should we get a resolution to the trade situation, particularly with China, then there's a good chance that part of this program payments won't be necessary. In addition to cotton, there are 27 other, uh, as they call them, non-specialty crops covered under the program. Uh, Those are things such as alfalfa hay, barley, canola, corn, long and medium grain rice, oats, peanuts, sorghum, soybeans, wheat, and a whole list of other specialty uh, legume crops. And uh, there's also, <clears throat> excuse me, also assistance for non-specialty, or well, this assistance for non-specialty crops, excuse me, is based on a single county payment rate, which is multiplied by a farm's total plantings of eligible crops in aggregate in 2019. Now, I hope you can complete, I hope you understand what that means much better than I do. But essentially, these per acre payments are not dependent on which of these crops were planted in 2019, uh, a producer's a producer's total payment eligible plantings, although cannot exceed total 2018 plantings, in any acreage of non-specialty crops and cover crops, have to be in the ground by August 1st in order to be eligible for these uh, the market facilitation payments. <clears throat> when you look at the other parts of of the program. Uh, in particular, the Agricultural Trade Promotion Program uh, will continue to provide cost share assistance to eligible U.S. organizations for activities to help U.S. farmers and ranchers uh, identify and access some new export markets. 
and that's especially important for U.S. cotton as that program provides a great deal of funding to Cotton Council International uh, to promote and build demand for U.S. cotton around the world. As far as other agricultural products are concerned, uh, market facilitation payments will also be made to producers of nut crops, including pecans, and some fruit crops like fresh grapes and fresh sweet cherries based on the 2019 acres of fruit or nut-bearing plants. Those are some of, the, some of the other specialty crops that have been particularly impacted by the tariff situation. <clears throat> and dairy producers who are in business as of June 1st will receive a per hundredweight payment on production history, and hog producers are going to get a payment based on the number of live hogs owned on a day that is selected by the producer between that falls somewhere between April 1st and May 15th of this year. Uh, so that, in a nutshell, that's really the the areas where the payments are going to uh, to be. And as Beck mentioned, um, when you when you start looking at the payment rates, uh, those of us uh, those of us within the cotton belt uh, may put a little bit of a smile on our face at this point. County payment rates for this program range from 15 to $150 per acre, depending on the impact of the trade retaliation, uh, the trade retaliation impact on a particular county. Now, a quick glance at those rates show that uh, obviously southern states are going to fare better than those in the Midwest, primarily due to the, the diversity of crops grown, including certainly cotton. For example, when you look at the rates, counties in Midwestern states at best will find payments falling somewhere in the $50 to $70 per acre range. When you move down into the Cotton Belt states, you'll find those county payments generally falling in the $110 to $150 range. So uh, again, if you're, if you're interested, uh, certainly you've got to go to your farm, local farm service agency to, to sign up for this and they may have more details there. Uh, if you want a quick look at the county payment rates, uh, those are available online at farmers, that's F-A-R-M-M-E-R-S dot gov. Or you can see our article on the uh, market facilitation program that's currently uh, on cottongrower.com. And there's a link to those listed rates in that article. And, and one other thing to consider or keep in mind, there are limits to how much an individual grower or rancher can receive in payments. So check with your, uh, again, with your farm service agency office for those details. Yeah, that's, uh, Jim, I commend you. That's a, that's a tough topic to uh, wade into to make sure you feel like you're hitting all of the little dynamic uh, offshoots of that story. There's a lot, uh, there's a lot there, and, you, and you do, you've done a good job with it. I, I think, yeah, the major takeaway, as you hit on at the end there, it sounds like it's a, the Cotton Belt states are getting a, uh, one of the better ends of this thing, um, and that's good. That's evidence of a job well done by the folks at the council. Just this morning, they came out with a, a statement. I saw that they were mm-hmm. pleased with how this shook out, and so um, yeah, yeah, it sounds like it's a good deal. Uh, we know that there's no substitute for a healthy market, and we want we want that this trade dispute to come to an end, ASAP. But it's it's a great deal that we the USDA has. Uh, you know, taking care of, of y'all out there. It's a tough job, man. I, I try to explain to pe- people who aren't in agriculture, you know, the the gamble that you take in trying to produce a crop and make a profit on a crop every year, and you have to have assurances uh, from your government 
that you're going to be able to do that. And, and this is one of those cases where you, we, we wouldn't be able to do it without this help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just one other quick, uh, quick item. I, I wanted to do a, a quick shout out to the 19 cotton growers who are participating in the Producer Information Exchange or the PI Tours this week. Uh, or the week of uh, starting July 29th. Uh, ten growers from the Southwest are enjoying their will be enjoying their time in the San Joaquin Valley of California, and nine growers out of the Southeast uh, are touring the Upper Mid South as part of uh, the tours. And we're sure it's going to be a good week for everyone involved. Yeah, yeah, those things are great. Um, I, I've had a lot of fun being one of the boys on the bus in those things. So mm-hmm. I, I know those folks are enjoying themselves and getting a lot out of it. So is that all we got, Jim? That's what we have. Okay, good deal. We are uh, we want to hold up with the news there then and bring you all this interview that Jim conducted with uh, Mr. Frederick Barron Barrier, who uh, he was kind mm-hmm. enough to talk to Jim while Jim was up at the Southern Cotton Jenners Association summer meeting. Y'all were in Missouri, is that right? We were in Branson, Missouri. Branson, beautiful Branson, Missouri. And so uh, it sounds like y'all touched on a lot of things, right? I mean, can you give me a brief summary? Well, to it's it's not specifically an interview, a, yeah. a face-to-face interview. Oh, that's right, that's right. I forget. Um, uh, Mr. Barrier was was there doing a uh, a market cotton market outlook presentation at the uh, Southern Cotton Jenners program, and uh, and he graciously I talked with him after the his presentation, and he graciously agreed to let us use excerpts. Okay. From his this presentation, uh, what we're going to do is. We have, uh, we have one excerpt today that focuses on cotton consumption, uh, the impacts of the continu- continuing trade war, uh, and new competitors and opportunities for the U.S. In our next episode, which will be episode number 53 here in a few weeks, you're going to hear more from him uh, on some of the, uh, the, the more specifics on, on what the, uh, the, the trade war uh, trade disputes and things like that uh, are currently the impact it's currently having, but yet some opportunities as as we start moving ahead. Okay, all right, good deal. Then uh, it sounds like y'all touched on a good bit uh, mm-hmm. stuff that our audience would be interested in. So without further ado, we are going to bring y'all that interview right now. Any uncertainty is a drain on consumption. I mean, we've got a, just a very complex flow of trade lanes all around the world. People trade with this country here, there. Any kind of uncertainty just paralyzes people. You have supply chain disruption. So all of a sudden, if you were buying Chinese yarn, now you gotta buy yarn from Vietnam. If you were buying fabric from China, now you gotta buy it from, uh, let's say Bangladesh. It just creates all kind of confusion. Everyone has to react to it. They have to go to other markets. Then you have substitutions of other growths in our markets. So you take John and and John back there, people like us that worked hard to develop relationships all around the world, and all of a sudden we build these relationships now, we can't sell U.S. cotton in these markets because we're not competitive. So we've got to go out and develop markets elsewhere. So uh, that's part of what we're doing. We, we've been out developing new markets. Uh, I'll tell you this, the textile margins are under huge pressure. Uh, just talked to Hank, he's overseas in Korea. He said, Frederick, these guys are losing money, been losing money for a year. Margins are terrible. But I'll tell you another thing. Usually when the market goes down like it does, it stimulates consumption. This drop in futures hasn't done anything to, to, to warn anybody buying more cotton. 
That's what's sad, but that's what's happened. It's dropped too fast, too quick. This trade deal's got everybody off the sidelines, so we're, we're in a free fall of prices, and it's not stimulating demand. Now, we don't have much old crop kind of left to sell, but if you look ahead at new crop, new crop sales aren't that hot, at least not for the U.S. Uh, so, and then you have the U.S. dollar, which over the last year and a half has been pretty strong against some of our imported countries. I'm going to spend a little time, more time talking about Brazil, but my recent trip to China, sitting down in the middle office, they're enjoying this crop from Brazil. Brazil had a monster crop this year, and the quality was excellent. Hate to hear that, okay? Hate to hear that, but, you know, you got to tip your hat. and doing a good job down there, uh, and they're reacting to the, to the increase in demand. And then finally, you know, we've had weave oil prices, synthetic, synthetic prices are pretty cheap. Global synthetic prices are anywhere from 66 to 69 cents a pound. So those are some challenges that we have. So we talk about a deal or no deal. I'm not going to put 27 suitcases up here and force you all to pick which one you want. Okay, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to say, what, what, is the, what is the significance of no deal? What does it mean to us? So let's just take the U.S., okay? Let's just do some simple math and say, if the U.S. produces 22 million bales this year, and we export... Two million bales left, 15 million bales. We get any stocks of 8.4 million bales. That's all. That's, our warehouse would be full of, be good for the warehouse business, but it'd be terrible for cotton prices. And that's just assuming China doesn't, and China doesn't uh, import any more cotton. Their 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 balance sheet will stay the same. But you put it on a graph, and it's pretty revealing, guys. I mean, you know. We can ill afford, really, I don't want to see us go to six and a half million bales, but our sure don't want to see us go to 8.4. That would move the needle in the wrong, wrong direction. So, obviously, I think, you know, I, I do think we're going to do better than 15 million bales, but it's certainly a concern. So, as we move forward, you know, I would ask you, what is in jeopardy? Certainly, our export market share is in jeopardy. U.S. exports, there's a big question. What are we going to do with it? I think this slide right here will sum it up pretty well. You can look at Chinese export market share, import market share for the last three years, okay? The United States in 2006 was 46% of the cotton China imported. 2017, we're 45%. Last year, we dropped to 13%. At the same time, look at Brazil. Brazil was only 4%. Increased their market share to 7%. It's up as high as 25%. And 18. Australia was 18%, 23%, and 29%. India is somewhere going to average somewhere around 15%. So if China's going to import more cotton, where are they going to get it from? We're growing the surplus cotton. It makes sense to come here, but we got this trade deal hanging over our heads. So if not China, where does it go? So what I did here was I took over the last 10 years, I took the best year for each country mentioned on this board. So if we maxed out our export sales to these given countries on our best year without China, the most we can get is 15.89 million bales. Now obviously we've already got some cotton sold to China, some cotton in the free trade zone that's not under the risk of, of, of getting a tariff, but it just shows you how important that relationship is with China and how much work we have to cut out for us if we don't have China in the mix. Growing markets for your cotton, with cotton that you guys are ginning, you're seeing increases uh, 
in Vietnam, Indonesia, and Pakistan, India, Bangladesh. You know, some of these markets are easier to operate with than others, but today we enjoy 40% of import share of Vietnam, 47% in Indonesia, 47% in Pakistan, 40% of what little cotton is imported in India, and 10% in Bangladesh. We're seeing some growth there. Uh, we're seeing growth in Bangladesh. They've got a growing textile market there, but it's a challenge to operate in. LCs don't open there very quickly. Sometimes you takes a little kicking and screaming and clawing to get your LCs open. So, uh, you know, again, when you when you take some lanes that you've got some synergies and some efficiencies working in and replace them with some new ones, there's some headaches that pop up from time to time. So let's talk about the biggest competition we have for U.S. cotton today, and that is in Brazil. Okay? Look back at cotton production from Brazil in 14, 15, and 16. They were producing anywhere from 7 to six to seven million bales had a slight tick up in 17. last year they produced almost 13 million bales averaged almost 1500 pounds an acre that's hard to compete with this year they're forecasting to produce 12 million bales look at brazil's exports they are as george mentioned that's who we're competing with Brazil consumes about 3.6, 3.7 million bales a year, so most of their cotton is going to go to export. Uh, we can see here that uh, export share, I mean, uh, totals as low as 2.79 million bales. This year's forecast to be 8.2. Look at what Brazil's done to China. Who's taking our place? Who's going to ship that cotton, as George said? Well, they went from less than 400,000 bales in 17. A year to date, they're almost at 1. 1. 1.8, 1.9 million bales. So, Brazil is a formidable foe. It's something we've got to look at. I would urge you guys to look at what they're doing down there. Now, look, they had a great harvest season last year. That doesn't mean this is going to happen again this year. But uh, certainly, they bear watching. All right. Well, uh, we want to give a big thank you then to Frederick Barrier and Staple Cotton uh, for being so sharp and on top of all of the developments around U.S. cotton. Uh, we thank them. All right, well, that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, we want to thank Phytogen, as always, for sponsoring us. And we want to thank you, dear listener, sincerely for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, tell your farmer buddies about us. We bet they'll like it, too. Uh, they can get to our podcast in three easy ways. The first, simply go to cottongrower.com and add a forward slash companion there, such that it reads cottongrower.com forward slash companion. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever it is that you find your podcast these days. The third and best way to make sure you're getting each episode of The Cotton Companion is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News. You can do that by going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or excuse me, forward slash subscribe. Uh, also, uh, once you do that, you will be uh, getting the Cotton Grower E-News, it hits your email inbox like clockwork every Tuesday morning. You won't want to miss it. Uh, also, make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter, and on Facebook you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Uh, we hope that you're enjoying our latest issue. That would be the June May-June issue. Uh, the next one to hit your mailbox will be the second week of September when we come to you with the August-September issue. This podcast is produced by Mr. Tyler Hatch, who works at the Mothership, Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. 
My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Mr. Jim Stebman, we wish you and your farm all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com.